talking about the sovereignty of God. It's talking about God is in control. Today, if I had to put a title, I would say God knows. God knows. In this second chapter of Exodus, we are following up from where we left off last week. We realized that from last week, um, Moses was placed in a basket and floated downstream. And as he was there, uh, he was God providentially and sovereignly protected him from the crocodiles and the animals that were there. It wasn't just by chance that Pharaoh's daughter happened to be going by and was taking her bath, and she saw the basket and sent a slave servant slave to bring the basket, and in that basket was our man Moses. She takes the baby and she adopts him, and to the point that uh, as Moses's sister was falling along, make sure everything was all right. She boldly approaches Pharaoh's daughter and asks her, "Did she, would she like for a Hebrew woman to take care of the baby?" And of all things, God uses the mother who gave birth to take care of the son that she gave up. And not only that, but God, through Pharaoh's daughter, she even earned some money. So she got paid to take care of her own son, which says to me, God is a great God. She gave up her son, and she didn't realize all this was going to happen. But God has a plan, has a purpose, and has a will. And God's plan, purpose, and will will always be done. So the mother feeds her own son, nurses him, and then gives him back to Pharaoh's daughter. And that gives us right back to where we are today. The ironic thing that you got to keep in your mind is that when she adopted him, she understood that he was a Hebrew baby, not Egyptian, but Hebrew. That's going to be important because what happens in today's lesson is that some time has passed. As we're told in the first few verses there, some time had passed. Moses is a little bit older now. He's been there. And as he was growing up in Pharaoh's court, he was taught and educated with all the best of the education that was there. And as he was being taught... He never, basically, from my understanding, being from the text, is that he did not forget where he came from. He understood that he was a Hebrew child. Because it says there, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. Things had not changed from the, for the people, for the Hebrew people, for the nation of Israel. They were still under the forced labor that we talked about in chapter 1. The hard labor that the Pharaoh put them under is still going on. And Moses is, is a little bit older now. He's around 40 years old. And he goes out and he sees that this labor is still going on. And while he's observing this, he sees an incident. He sees an Egyptian that has killed a fellow laborer, a Hebrew, that was one of his own people. Moses, we're told in verse 12, looking all around, seeing no one. He struck that Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. Isn't it always amazing that when we do something wrong, we try to hide it? But never fear. One thing about it, God sees all and God knows all. And every now and then, 
When we try to do wrong, God always sometimes has somebody in our own flesh and blood that sees us and says, hey, I saw what you did. I mean, it'd be like me getting pulled over by the side of the road by the local Wilmington PD or state of all things. And there you go driving by and you go, hey, that's a black van that looks like my pastor standing out there. Is that, could it be, pastor? I saw you the other day standing down there on South South Street down there at the, at the uh, laundromat. Police pulled you over, huh? Huh? You know, and you're trying not to make everybody know your business, but people just don't let you hide. That's what happened to Moses. He could not hide because he struck this Egyptian dead, and even though he buried him, he thought he was getting by with something, but above all, as I just said, God sees, but one of his own fellow countrymen sees him as well. He says here in, in the second chapter, he says, the next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. So one day he sees the Egyptian kill a Hebrew. The next day he goes out, he sees two Hebrews fighting, his own people fighting amongst themselves. And Moses, being bold as he is, he, what does he do? He says here, he asked the one in the wrong. Catch what he says. He, just, he, he was not indiscriminate. He asked the one who, the Bible says, the one who was wrong. The one that struck, started the fight, instigated. Moses asked him, the one who was wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Why are you attacking your neighbor? Well, he says, the response of this Hebrew individual is, hey, wait a minute. Who are you? <laughs> who are you to talk to me? Who are you? Who made you a, a commander or leader? And judge over us. Excuse me, time out, sir. Did you not kill an Egyptian? And now you see us fighting? Who are you to tell us about our fighting? You know how we are. We do that today. We say the very same thing to people. Well, who are you to tell me? You're just a man like I am. You're a woman like I am. I know. I know some of your faults. I know some of your sins. How can you tell us what to do? Well, you know what? It's going to be interesting how God's going to work this all out. Who made you? Commander. Judge. The man replied, oh, are you planning to kill me <laughs> as you killed that Egyptian? Oh, I saw what you did. You killed the Egyptian. And now you got the audacity to come and speak to me and tell me I'm wrong. Are you going to treat me like you treated that Egyptian? Are you going to kill me? Moses' response was, he becomes afraid. He gets scared. He says, wait a minute. Not only do my countrymen know what I've done, but could Pharaoh know as well? Could the guy that I've been living in his household for so long, is he aware that I killed a fellow countryman, Egyptian. And what will his response be? Moses does what maybe some of us would do. He runs. But you can run, <laughs> but you cannot hide from God. Amen. That is a universal truth. 
If you don't know anything else, realize you can go to the furthest points of the world that you want to. Go to the backwoods of some country, state, or whatever. But God will find you and I out. He always has and he always will. Moses is is no different than us. He says, I'm out of here. Now, remember, he had been 40 years in Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh's daughter knew he was Egyptian. How how he survived in that household, knowing that the Pharaoh was trying to, at, at one point, was trying to kill all the Hebrew boys. Number two, the forced labor that he was putting on the Hebrews, how he survived that 40 years in Egypt without this Pharaoh really doing anything to him is all by the grace and mercy of God. Because his daughter knew. Now, how she brought him in and how he was able to be there for 40 years is all about God's plan. Because he received in that house the very best of education that was possible at that time. In the sciences, in the math, in in agriculture, in everything, he received the very best. Do you know why? Because ultimately we're going to find out God had a plan. God knows what he's doing. God had a plan. God had a purpose for what he is going to do through Moses as a result of how he was educated and taught and the things that he went through. And the other thing, and this takes me to the end of the message, but I'll say it here. No matter what you do or have done, nothing you do or have done is beyond the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of God. Moses was a murderer. He killed somebody. And yet, God still is going to use this murderer, this person that killed somebody else, that committed one of the, broke one of the commandments, thou shalt not kill. He's going to use that man to ultimately deliver his people. God's a great God. God, you may not forgive me, but God will forgive me. And the consequences of what he did would follow Moses and will follow any of us for the rest of our life. Yeah, God's going to use him. But part of the problem is Moses, it seems, if you read throughout the account, may have had an anger management problem. He let his emotions sometimes override what he should have done. Case in point, later on, when you get through the book of Exodus, and I said we may not cover the whole book, but later on, when he is about ready, God told him, speak to the rock. Don't get it. But because Moses was upset with the nagging and the groaning and the complaining and the people biting and bickering and all that stuff, because he was upset, what did he do? He struck the rock instead of speak. God said, I didn't tell you to hit it for the water to come from. I told you, speak to the rock. You disobeyed. And because of your disobedience, you do not get to go over into the promise promised land. There's always a price to pay when you and I do wrong. Yeah, God loves. Yeah, God's forgiving. But there is a consequence. It's like these people, sometimes you read these, some of these people who uh, do commit a certain sin or they're in prison or they're in jail and all of a sudden they find Jesus. As if finding Jesus is the out for which they no longer have to pay 
the price for being in jail or in prison. Oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You, I'm glad you found Jesus. I'm glad you're saved. But the consequences of the crime that you and I may have committed does not override what you have to pay to society. If you're there for 20 to 25 years because of you murdered somebody and you find Jesus, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Maybe God's going to use you while you're there to be a witness to the rest of the inmates and staff and folks. That Yeah, I did a terrible crime. Yeah, I'm paying my time and I'm here. But while I'm here, let me tell you about a man from Galilee. If you're in sin, he'll set you free. He's the son of David, seed of Abraham, stone hewed out the mountain, the meek and humble land. He changed me. And if he can change me, guess what? He can change you. Nobody is beyond God's ability to change their life if they are willing to be available to him. Submit, line up under the perfect will and way of God. So he takes off. He gets, he gets scared. He takes off. He, he flees. He runs. And where does he go? Well, that's a good question. Because now, by now, this the Pharaoh who was after him, he says, the account in verse 16 lets us know that, you know what? Now, the priest of Midian, this priest had seven daughters. That's a lot of girls. Whew, God bless. I have one, and that was enough. I can't imagine having seven. Whew, seven girls. I can remember there was a time when my uh, cousins came up from Texas. And they're all girls. Man, that was a challenging time. My mom, my sister, my aunt, and all these other girls. It was just, there were seven. Yeah. Bathroom was hard to get into. Because women. And we only had one bathroom. I get amazed on these people on these fixer-upper shows. They want four or five bathrooms. Three or four, two, three, whatever. Oh, I just can't. I said, well, just try living in one bathroom your whole entire life. That's, <laughs> that's a challenge. If you got more than one, praise be to God. God has blessed you mightily. We had, we, we had one. Then you go in and you see all this personal items stacked across the, the uh, they call it the shower thing. And it's like, oh, no. Then they got talking. And, oh, it just, I just had to get out of the house sometimes. It was just, it was just too much. He had seven daughters, but, and they were responsible. They had a responsibility. They were responsible for taking the flock and going down and watering them. It lets us know that this priest had seven daughters. Their job was to go down and draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. They just didn't sit around and do nothing and try to be pretty. They had hard labor. They're trying to take care of animals and getting water is not an easy thing. There just happened on this day that they go down there that, there were some shepherds there, and they thought, because they were shepherds, they should have first place. Hey, do you know we're, we're the shepherds? We're the men, so guess what? We should have preeminence. They kind of try to push them out of the way. But in that verse, it says, but Moses just happened to be around. No, 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 no. It wasn't that he just happened to be. God placed him there for a certain reason. Why? Because God knows. 
God knew that these shepherds were going to come. They're going to try to take over the watering hole. And Moses was there. What does Moses do? He comes to the rescue. And he not only does he interferes and, and, and navigates with these shepherds and get them out of the way so the girls can feed the flock, but he himself helps them water the flock. He wasn't just a spectator. He was also a worker. I mean, he could have said, hey, you guys, move on. Now, if you watch the Ten Commandments, the movie, I mean, there's a scene in there where it shows this thing going on. The shepherds come. Moses comes. He takes a staff, and he chases the shepherds away, and the girls are all excited. This nice, handsome-looking guy comes, saves them, and all that stuff. And, you know, they're all fussing over him. So he gets them out of the way. They get the flocks watered. And, and, and while he's doing that, it says, when they return to their father, Raul, he asks, uh, you know, y'all back, y'all come back awful quickly here. Normally it takes you longer to do this. How is it you just happen to get done so quickly? Ever had to do something and somebody said, man, that didn't take long. What about you got done real fast. What was the deal? Well, if you had help, help, sometimes help is a good thing. My brother David has an expression, many hands make the, makes light the load or the work. One pair of hands is one, but when you take everybody else working together, you could knock something out very quickly. Some of you ladies at the house probably say that all the time. Uh, you know, if I, my, I, I hear this, I've heard this when I was at home. I hear it now that I have my own house. Am I the only one that does A, B, C, or D? Huh? We all sit down to eat dinner. It wasn't just my plate. It was my pot and pans and forks and spoons. We all share. You, you think somebody else could, every now and then could wash some dishes? Huh? You see the floor needs swept? Sweep the floor. Don't wait for me. Now, that's a good point. Many hands make light the work. We're all in this together. You know, pick up your own clothes and stuff. Raul says to his daughters, wait a minute, y'all got done awful quick. He says, oh, yeah, Dad, we got done quickly because guess what? An Egyptian. Now, why would they? He's a Hebrew, but they identify him as an Egyptian. Evidently, he had maybe not had changed his clothing. He had the clothing of the Egyptians, albeit he was a Hebrew. Why would he have clothing of, uh, as an Egyptian? Because that is the house he was raised in. Remember, he packed up and got out quickly. He may not had time to go. Well, let me go home and get change, get my suitcase and all my personal belongings. When the just when the the Hebrew person said, by the way, we saw what you did. He became afraid, and Pharaoh was out to kill him. He just took off. So he probably had the clothes on his back, and that's all he had. He said, they, they said, uh, by the way, this Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. I mean, he saved us, Dad. He drew water for us and watered the flock. Naturally, the father said, so where is he? Well... He's still out there. He even, he says, well, guess what? You should have invited him to come. You should have asked him to come and invited him to dinner. If he did all that for you, 
why would you not ask him to come to eat? You know, we've lost the art of hospitality. We really have. In the early days, that even back here in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament age, and even in the early part of our history, when people travel from afar, people would invite you to eat dinner. Now, I know we're in COVID-19 and all that other stuff. Got it, okay? But as a norm, people used to invite you every now and then to come over and eat. You know, hey, you know, I'm doing some wings. And I've got a whole lot. Would you like to come over and eat some wings? And here's how I do it sometimes or how we've done it. Listen, if you're going to do the wings, guess what? We'll bring the salad or we'll bring the drinks or we'll bring some dessert. You know, we're all going to chip in. We ain't going to put it all on dessert. That's how I usually roll. I always tell people, listen, if, if I say let us go out to eat, hey, brother, me and you go going to breakfast. That presupposes that I'm paying. I ask you to come out for breakfast. Hey, let's have breakfast sometime. That's my idea. You know what people think? They go, okay, they'll ask it out, and then they pay for theirs, and then you're like, what am I supposed to pay for mine? Or, you know, you're like, what am I going to do? Uh, That's why you never leave without your card or your money, because you don't know who, <laughs> who's going to have thing. And sometimes you just go, hey, I got it. I'll go ahead and pay for it. Hospitality, being nice, showing, showing people grace. In our history, as, as a black Americans, when people used to travel, and they would come to a place, you didn't have to necessarily know them. You would just ask them to come over and eat. I told you about when I was in Atlanta, this guy I didn't know from Adam shared some of his homemade peach ice cream. He didn't know us. He didn't know Maurice and his family. He didn't know me. But he said there's a commonality. We used to have commonality even as a people. Oh, go down to Tennessee. Go to different places in the United States. It wasn't that I knew who you were. My kids used to say, Dad, is that, do you know who that is? I go, no. And, they, you know, we teach our kids not to talk to strangers. And here we are, you know. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. Dad, do you know who that was? No, sir. Don't know him from Adam. But it was just a common thing that we would respond because of like kindness. Walk in the store. Go out to Walmart. Go to Kroger's. You walk in. Doesn't matter who you are. Red, red, red yellow, black, white, whatever. Guess what? You walk by, and most if you look at them, most people go, no, nah, I just say, hey, how you doing? Don't have to know you. We've gotten away from doing that. I don't want to look at anybody. I don't care. I'm, I'm here on a mission. No, man. Hospitality. Rose asked. So he helped you water the flocks? He helped get this job done? You didn't even ask him to dinner? What is your, you probably said, girls, did I not teach you better than that? Come on now. Moses agrees to stay. Now he even goes one step further. And that stay is Moses is going to stay 40 years he's in Egypt. Now he's going to be another 40 years on the backside of the desert with Raul, the girls. And Raul says, because of what you've done, I'm going to give you one of my seven of the seven daughters. I'm going to give you one to marry. Zipporah. Amen. Moses, he says, agrees to stay with the man. Maybe they had dinner while they're eating. So, Moses, where are you going? Don't know. 
Well, how is it that you just happened to be here? Well, it's a long story, but I just had to get out of where I was at. No plan. Well, since you don't have a plan to know where you're going, why don't you just stay here? And maybe Moses says, you know what? You're right. I don't have a plan. I don't know where I'm going. At least, you know, you invited me to dinner and you've given me one of your daughters to marry. I guess I'll, I'll stay for a while. He didn't know a while was 40 more years. 40 years in Egypt. 40 years on the backside of the desert. Moses agrees to stay with the man. He gives up his daughter, Zipporah. She gives birth to a son. They have a baby. Gershom. Why the name Gershom? You know, I'm a firm believer that names should mean something. You know, what was her name? I can't think of the actress that named her, her child Apple. Gwyneth Paltrow, thank you. Does it mean anything? Not necessarily, but maybe to her, but I, just apple. Maybe she's the apple of her eye. I don't know. <laughs> My brother back there goes, that's it. Okay, brother, I, I, that's it. Apple of her eye. But for whatever reason, if you look throughout the Old Testament and even New Testament, and in a lot of cultures, babies were given a name because of a certain thing. His name is going to be Gershom. Because Moses said, I am an alien in a strange land. In other words, this isn't my home. This is, where I, this is not where I grew up. But God has placed me there because God knows that I learned from the best education in Egypt. And I'm going to learn from the best back here on the backside of the desert. I'm going to learn some things that when I am in the position God wants me to be, I'll be able to lead the nation of Israel out of. Egypt to the promised land. He's, he's going to learn how it is to deal with unruly sheep, animals. How do you herd them? How do you get them to go in a certain direction? We're all going to a certain place at a certain time, and we're all following the same place. How do you do that? He's going to learn. In 40 years, he's going to be dealing with a whole lot of these animals and as well as other people. He's going to have a valuable lesson. That's why I'm affirming God does not put you where you're at just by accident or by chance. I got two brothers here that used to work at the post office or work at the post office. I worked at UPS. Some of the things that you, you, we have learned just by dealing, there is an order, there's a mechanism, there's a process that they would do to make sure the job was done. You can't have, which has been a controversy, was a controversy during that, you just can't have mail come in and everybody goes, okay, there's a bunch of mail there, what are we going to do? No, there's a process that they were supposed to go, how you separated do all that we get packages at UPS there's a certain way by zip code by this by that there's a way that you manage it when you put it on a truck it has to go out there's a certain order by which the mail carriers carry it why are they over in this neighborhood and not in that neighborhood because there's an order there's a way of doing things God is a God of decency and order I was in the military guess what one thing about the military out not me my dad was but while we were stationed on base and while I was exposed to all that one of the things I learned was that there is a time and place for everything there's an order. Privates did not question the commander. The commander told the privates. Didn't you didn't see no little urkling out there going, oh, no, sir, I don't want to get up this morning. Oh, excuse me? You don't want to get up? What does that mean? 
You are part of the United States, whatever, Army, Navy, Air Force, whatever. You have a response. You saw, let's, let me understand this. You came to us and signed up to be a part of this. And now that being a part of this, you are now saying, I don't want to do? Yeah, that's not how this works. We tell you. You don't tell me. We reverse the order. Our homes. Our families. It's no longer the parents telling the kids. The kids now tell the parents. I mean, let's just be honest. For a lot of homes, you know, kids, they'll tell you and they have no problem because they're in a culture, in a place that they're growing up. They have no problem. Some kids and some parents have no problems telling their parents where they should go. And they ain't go to the bathroom or go shopping at Kroger's. Where'd they learn that from? I don't like you, and I'm not going to listen to you because I think you're wrong. We now argue with experts. If I go to my doctor, and she says, this is what's going on. This is what you need to do. I, went, I didn't go to med school for 8, 12 years and learn all about my body. I have to trust that what they're saying, they know what they're doing. If they're describing the symptoms, I go, oh, yeah, I got that. I got that. Oh, yeah. And she says, okay, this is what you got. You have to trust that. We're in an age now, well, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. Because what he wants me to do, I don't necessarily agree with. I don't like that. I got to, here's what you need to do, brother. You need to walk. You need to eat right. You need to do this. Yeah, but you just don't know. Number one, I don't like to do it now. It's hard work. And it hurts my body when I do whatever. And I just like to eat whatever I eat. And, you know, we have some people I know that even with this COVID-19, some have said, well, you know, by, Jan by November 3rd, it's going to be over. Not funny, but the thing is, it's on the up, it's on the rise, more and more now than close to more than what it was when it first came out. Not only that, but the scientists that study this that know more than I know says, you know, we're about three or four weeks behind Europe. Guess what? Europe is already shutting down. Italy, France, England, all them places, they're closing down again. Not to the popularity of their populace. If they say, if we don't do something, this is going to be even worse than what it is. Oh, we don't believe that here in the United States. We're not going to shut down. I really don't see that happening. We do not have the will or the way. I don't, President-elect Biden can say what he wants. The American people will fight tooth and nail. They've already been fighting. There, there will be, like we were back in March and April, the, that will not happen in this, you know, it, it'll start a civil war. We almost had it. As it was, we don't have the will for that. That's why you got to pray. And, and here they are. He says, listen, you did this. Moses says, I, I give you my daughter. He stays there for a long time. He understood that he's, God's going to use all that he went through to educate him. That's what I'm saying. God uses what you go through to get you and I to be where he wants us to be. To say, guess what? You understand. I'm a firm believer. We, to a degree, understand 
where we are in our walk with the Lord. If you're saved at all, you're in your Bible, you're reading all the stuff we always say, we do, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm coming, I'm doing. If you're doing all those things, then when you're not doing what God wants you and I to do, God reveals that to us. See, the excuse is, that's just me. I just don't, whatever it is. That's, that's an excuse. That's not a reason to try to change the behavior and do that which is right. So he gives him his daughter. He stays there. He's learning all this. He's having a son. He's named him Gershom because he's an alien. The king dies. But yet and still, Israel is groaning and crying out to God. Amen? Things have not changed. They're still there. God notices. They're having a difficult labor. They cry out. They cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. Their cries makes it up to God. God knows. When you're going through something, God knows. When you're pleading and crying before God earnestly in prayer to change a situation or circumstance or something in your life, God knows. Did you catch that, what he says here? The crying for help because of the difficulty. Ascend it to God. God hears and ultimately will answer prayer. Our forefathers and others didn't have all the theology. They didn't know about God's necessarily sovereignty and providence and all those other things that we can talk about theologically. But they did have it very simply said, God hears and answers prayer. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And a lot of people don't understand what that means. I, I'm finding people like, wait a minute, he's an on-time God. And then they say, yes, he is. What do they mean by that? Simple. God hears and answers our cries. Maybe not when we want it, but in his time and in his place, he will answer our prayers. That's why he's always on time. Philippians says, in the fullness of time, guess what? God sent his son. When all the conditions were right, when everything was aligned the way God wanted, God said, now, now Jesus, it's time for you to go down. They're, they are, they're in a position that they, are, they find themselves that maybe the message of the gospel the good news that you are my son, that you're coming to save them from their sins. It's time. Amen. That's what's happened here with this group of people. They've ascended. They, their cries have ascended. And God heard. God heard. God heard. God hears. God heard their groaning. And, oh, this is the best part of all. Not only did he hear, but he remembered. Man, that ought to send shivels and, and stuff down your spine. Not only did God, does God hear, but he remembers us. He remembered them. And what does he remember? He remembers, it says here, the promises, the covenant he had with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God had made promises in his word of what he was going to do for Abraham. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. Your seed's going to be mighty. 
like the star, like the stars in the sky and the, the grains of sand on the sea, you're going to multiply to the point that you're going to be a number, and I will make you a great nation. He remembered Isaac and all that he promised, how Isaac was used by God to show how God will always provide a sacrifice in due time. Jacob, the 12 sons, which represent the 12 tribes of Israel, he remembered what he promised. God always fulfills his promises. Oh, New Testament saints, and any saint anywhere else, he said, guess what? I will take care of you. It, to me, this is me. I know I don't speak for everybody. But I was really not bent out of shape on who was going to win the presidency of the United States. I really wasn't. Either, or I told that in a meeting I was at with some pastors this past week, and they looked at me like, what? Oh, no. No, for me, I can't speak for you. But for me, my life may not, is not necessarily going to change that dramatically because of one man and one, one man being in and one man being out. It ain't going to change that whole lot. For me, why can I say that? Because God said, I will take care of you, Byron, Sheila, Tyler, Joshua, Sydney, and the rest of us. He said, I'll take care. I promised you, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his seed. You ain't got to worry about if I take care of the birds of the air. Huh? They don't have to work or toil. I'm watching every day I come out. I watch these squirrels zipping around and up and down the tree over there where the, where the uh, walnuts are coming in. And I'm like, they're getting ready. Why do they do? Why are they doing that? When I, after, after it rains and I see the birds out pecking in the ground, I said, you know what that tells me? God said, I will take care of you, little birdies. It rained the other day. Guess what's up on the surface of the rain? The little wormies are coming out. There you go. Eat. Plenteous. Be fulfilled. Be satisfied. If he did it for the birds, he does it for the squirrels and every other animal out there, how much more does he say? And he says that. How much more will I take care of you? And he should have put on there, oh, ye of little faith. Because we don't have the faith to believe God is able. I will not allow a single man, whether it be Trump, whether it be Biden, whether it be Obama, whether it be, uh, what's his name in the, in the Senate? No, I am not going to give him the power that I will give to God. Because God is bigger than a Biden. God's bigger than Trump. God's bigger than whoever is out there that we think is interfering with our life. He's bigger than that. By faith. I believe that. It only takes a minute, split second. All this fighting and fussing to get into the office. A man could drop dead today. Then where will we be? Huh? We got the vice president. What happens if she something happens to her? You don't know. You got to put your faith and trust in God. That's why I was upset with some of my brethren in the ministry and pastors of some churches, I said, they've allowed us, we, we become atheistic in our mindset because we're allowing the man to override our faith and trust in God. We honestly believe, that, and we're right here now today, many of us believe that now that Biden's there, a whole lot of this stuff is going to change. It may or may not, but one thing I know, I serve an on-time God. 
And part of me would say, maybe, just maybe, I don't know. Somebody says, why in the world would God allow Donald Trump to, get, to be elected? You know, one thing, I, 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 at the end of this whole thing, I found out to be amazing. Maybe that happened to get us to appreciate what we have as the United States of America, what we were supposed to be and what we're supposed to live up to and how we should value, no matter who it is, value the opportunity to express ourselves by voting. Because up until this past year, this November 3rd election, a majority of people did not exercise that right. They could care less. Somebody said, you don't miss your water, you don't miss your water till your well runs dry. Maybe that could be the lesson we can learn. Number two, another thing I learned, we learn how divisive we really are. How separated we are by race and creed and nationality and sexual orientation. And dare I say, even our faith, whatever faith we practice. We're divided on that. Ought not be, but we are. Black church, white church. I don't understand that. I understand the church. Woke church. In case you don't know, there's a whole controversy. The woke church, the church now all of a sudden waking up going, well, you know, we, are, we have not done right socially. We have not done right with racism and all that. We need to be woke up to the reality that things are, well, I don't know why you need to be woke. Should have been waking a long time ago. And it's about black churches and white churches. It's not about all this. It's about serving God. God is no respecter of the face. And I know some of us are socially active and socially minded, but you know what? As I'm looking at all this, this is me. We have tried to do a lot of things through the social agenda by regulating laws and all this other stuff. And one thing I understand, a lot, a lot of those, you can put a law, but you can't make people do it. It's not till a man, one boy, girl, heart are changed. The whole point of the gospel of the church is to go out and to change the hearts and minds of men and women, boys and girls. We think if we put a law in place, that's going to help solve the issue. No, you got to change people's hearts. And the only way to change them, they've got to have a confrontation with Jesus. When Jesus changes a man, woman, boy, girl's heart, they are changed from the inside out. You will learn how to treat and love one another. That's why Jesus had to say, guess what? You're to serve the Lord your God. With what? All your soul, heart, and might. Are you doing that? Is you, are you and I putting our everything into serving God with our whole purpose, our whole heart, our whole mind? Everything about me is about serving God. I want to preach and be better because of what God. I want to come and learn because of what I want to share because of God. I want to go out and witness because of God. Because God's been, do you not do that? And then he said, oh, and by the way, that's, that's the priority. But there's also... A part B to that, love your neighbor as yourself. Why would he say that? Because he knows you and I love ourselves. You know you love yourself. Every now and then you go shopping, and you see something, and you go, I'm going to treat myself. I don't need it, but I want it. Got a little extra coins in my pocket. I'm going to treat myself. 
Depends on what toy we want to get. Sometimes we got a little extra money. We say, I think I get a better new car. You don't necessarily need it, but you want it. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but we don't mind spending it because we love ourselves. Anybody says they don't love themselves, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you because to a degree, if you don't love yourself, you don't. You can, I, the, the excess of that is the problem. Well, you think you're it. But you're supposed to, you're supposed to, the Bible says, do not think more highly of yourself. Than, he didn't say don't think highly of yourself, but more highly. Don't think, <clears throat> yeah, I'm God's gift. When I walk, they ought to be like Jesus. They ought to throw palm branches down on the ground. Oh, no, 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 no. You're just like anybody else. But I'm going to have a certain pride about myself. That's why I should shave every now and then and keep my teeth bright. Uh, I have some pride about who you are. Amen? God remembers us. God remembers. Oh, man, you got to highlight that one. God remembers. And then it says, and God saw the Israelites, and God knew. <laughs> I highlighted that. God knew. God knows. That's a wonderful way to just end the whole chapter. God knew. What did he know? He heard their cries. He heard their sufferings. And he remembered them. Amen. God has a plan for us. Individually and collectively. Somebody says, why am I in Wilmington, Ohio? You're in Wilmington, Ohio because God has a plan for you. If it had not been for God's plan for putting Sister Nina and Sister Secret here, we would never know. Wilmington College is made the better because of those two individuals as well as others. He said, hey, I know you don't know <laughs> Wilmington, Ohio. What? Wilmington? Where is that at? Wilmington, Delaware? Nope. Wilmington, North Carolina? Nope. Ohio? What? And you know what? I've been here long enough to understand this. Everybody has always said, I've been a native, uh, this is not my home per se, but I've been here long enough that it might as well be my home. But, but everybody has grown up, all of us have grown up in Wilmington. Everybody, I hate Wilmington. I'm getting out of here. As soon as I get of age, I'm out. It's a funny thing. A lot of those that said that, guess where they are? They're still right here. <laughs> They're still here. Why? God has a purpose and a plan. Brother Leo, Sister Michelle, why Wilmington, Ohio? Of all the places you've been, brother, exposed to, why here? God has a plan. God has a purpose. But our Cleveland. From Cleveland to Wilmington? And you've been trying to get out of Wilmington since you retired. And for some reason, God has not let you go yet. Why? Because God knows. He brought to Wilmington some things that are contributing to the welfare of this city. And to us as a church. And to all. I mean, God knows it all. So God has a plan and has a purpose. God is always in control. Moses kills a man. And we would disqualify Moses from doing anything for the rest of his life. But God says, I'm not through with you yet. Please be patient with me. God 
you might be through, but God is not through with me yet. Got that? God is not through with me yet. It says I, God does never give up. He's always in control. And last but not least, his faith in us is undeserving, and he will never leave us. We don't deserve God's faith that he puts in us. We don't deserve God still allowing us to continue on when we do things that are contrary to his word, his will, and his way. But he is God. He sees in us what others don't see, and he even sees in us what we don't even see in ourselves. Amen. I close on this. I was coming up the street the other day from my house. I was heading to the church. <clears throat> I think it was Thursday, Thursday morning. And on the corner of Wall and Marlena, where Tony Woody lives, all my buddies were standing out there in front just chit-chatting. The neighbor across the way over here was over there. So as I turned the corner to go up and make a left down up to them, they were all standing there, so I slowed down. I said, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just talking, Pastor. We're just talking. And so I can't think of the guy's name over here. What's his name? Anthony. Well, Anthony Curtis and the other guy. What's his name? Greg? Craig? Greg. Greg and Anthony were there. He was there. Tony Woody was there. There's a couple other guys. I said, what are you doing on my end of town, man? He said, oh, Pastor, we're just over here just talking, trying to... I said, are we solving anything? I said, y'all having a little powwow? I said, hope you can solve some stuff. And then I said, you know what? I pointed to him. You all have told me you were going to come to church sometime before I die or before I leave or before I get whatever. Just once. Just come to me. Just come once. Pastor, we're going to be there. I said, you know what? I usually take that and goes like this. But I'm going to take you at your word. One day, I don't know when, I'm going to come in here. And <laughs> I said, I might keel over, but God is good. Amen. That's what you have to do. And they always tell me, if I come to church, Pastor, the walls are going to fall in. I said, You're coming ain't going to cause no, if they fall, it's going to be because they were meant to fall. Because every Sunday, we all are here, they haven't fallen in yet. And we know how bad we are. Amen. We all got sins. We all got faults. We all got things. And the walls have not come crumbling in on top of us. If we can survive, anybody. Why? Because God looks beyond the outward and sees the inward. And God sees what we can be in him. 